Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. everybody, welcome to the Wild Card Week edition of A Good Football Show. I am Patrick Hardy, joined today by Denny Carter. We have a lot of interesting stuff, actually, for the 2021 postmortem. So, talk about a number of interesting topics, a number of interesting players. I don't have any pre-show banter planned. I mean, just, did you survive? Well... You survived. Uh, I, I, I did survive. My, my, my brain actually felt like mush, I have to say, after that, uh, after watching all, all day Sunday and then the Chargers... Raiders game, which went till 4 a.m. Eastern time. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, I, I just co- completely burned out on 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 the football. Uh, obviously, ready ready for the playoffs. Uh, one, one thing, you know, I tweeted this the other day. Uh, we needed Congress to step in and act um, when the Steelers made the playoffs. I know because this know. is this is not right. This is no, not right. No, it's not. It's <laughs> what, not. Yeah. How how can they, there's they're such a bad team. They are. And Congress, I mean, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., he's just asleep at the wheel, letting the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know, by the way, I'm not getting political, but our, our president, Joe Biden, is an Eagles fan. He should have intervened and known this was not right. The Steelers should not be in the playoffs. You know, every, you know, presidents can do anything via executive uh, yeah. order. And, and, sure, it would get tied up in the courts, but, but the playoffs would be over by the time, you know, so it's fine. Right. The, the practical effect would be no Steelers in the playoffs. And, and we, have to, we have to look into, you know, Samuel Alito's, uh, you know, stance on the issue and his allegiances to NFL teams. We, we don't know who he roots for, but, but really, uh, actually, he might be from Pennsylvania. So actually, this, that, that might Pretty much be every politician in America is from Pennsylvania. So yeah. I don't really know how that's possible, least, but they're just yeah. always from Pennsylvania. That's right. That's right. Every every representative from Maryland is from Pennsylvania. Yes. <laughs> I mean, my 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 state rep, not my U.S. rep, is from Pennsylvania. It's, I've been looking into how that's possible. Yeah, but yeah, I've been represented so, by a Pennsylvania resident here in Missouri for uh, at least yeah. ten years. Uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a thing where you I, you watch them, you watch the Steelers, you watch Roethlisberger, and you think this can't this can't go on. Like like they can't keep getting away with this. No, they do, and, and they do. And if they win this week, I I'm going to have to just live in the woods the rest of my life because I, I will have no grip on reality. Yeah, I mean, I think frankly, the Steelers would maybe agree with this. Like, I don't even know if they want to be there. They're just like too well coached and well organized of a team. Like, because no matter, I made this joke early in the season. Like, no matter what, you look at the like. Well, the Steelers just lost their 18th game in a row, but they're still seven, six, and one. Like they're never not a game over 500 somehow. Like they'll go on like the worst three game stretch you've ever seen a team play, yeah. and they're above 500. And you know, Ben, that final home game, like I, the way Ben was talking on Monday Night Football after the game, like I wasn't sure if he was even going to play in Week 18 against the Ravens. Yeah, like it was almost like sometimes they do that in baseball a retiring player they don't play if the final series is on the road they don't play and the Steelers final game was in Pittsburgh I'm like is he even gonna play <laughs> and I guess at the time I probably didn't know that they still had a chance of making the playoffs you know I just assumed they were terrible they had no chance at making the playoffs and he just sounded so drained and done you know understandably so after one of the worst he averaged 2.7 yards per attempt oh, in week 17 yeah, yeah. and I was like so but no he played and uh, then he won and then they made the playoffs. Yeah, I watched that game. I covered that game for us, and uh, Roethlisberger should have thrown upwards of four interceptions in that game. And uh, the Ravens just wouldn't uh, cooperate and would not catch the ball on those errant throws. Yeah, Lawrence Jackson texted me recently that he reminded me of a tweet 
uh, about the Ravens. I think it was when they're eight and four. I think I tweeted something in effect like the Ravens are the first NFL t- eight and four team in NFL history should just pack it in and plan for next year. And like, <laughs> that ended up just remaining true. Like just to talk about a team where every single thing yeah. went wrong. Yeah. And, I mean, a total injury avalanche, the main problem, but man, oh man, did just every single thing go wrong for the Ravens this season. So you know, Lawrence uh, may or may not be a Ravens partisan. Uh, but he agreed with the tweet. Yeah, that they just needed. They would have been better if they had just packed it in an eight and four or whatever they, it was. The Ravens were the number one seed with no chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really it's amazing. Yeah, pretty much the second you just get dominated by the Dolphins in prime time. But yeah, you know, season's over. It's fine. Yeah, we gave it, we gave it a run. You know that <laughs> that that really did raise some serious. That that may have been the downfall there. You, that, that raised some red flags. Um, so, anyways, yep. Steelers, uh, I believe Steelers game is on NBC on Sunday night. Actually, though, oh, so yeah. where we will be watching this. I will. Be, I'll be watching. I don't. I actually don't watch playoff games in any other station. <laughs> so it's just... I, I I think I and most of our audience, no matter how annoying and bad the teams are, I do watch every second of every playoff game. I feel like you might may actually not, but. Well, uh, I you know what you know what I missed. I missed the Browns Steelers apocalyptic. Oh no! Game the game year. won me a lot of money. That was the one time I ever won a GPP. Nice. Uh, so uh, I, I was moving, every second. I was moving that day, and and even at night, I was still still moving some stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm sure you know Steelers are gonna handle their business, and it's gonna be over. And then. Uh, I check Twitter and I'm like, oh, the Browns are up 28 nothing with with six minutes left in the first quarter. Yeah, no, that. that, that's not even an exaggeration. I believe it was 28 nothing, yeah. and it was in the first quarter too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so should have Ben should have maybe taken the hint then, but of course he still made the playoffs somehow didn't, this year. So maybe we should have taken the hint. I don't didn't know. Roethlisberger throw for like 500 yards in that game? He did. Yeah, that's he was maybe one of the reasons I was a, a one-time GPP winner. And we're, we're not talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars here or anything. Small, but uh, just tens of thousands. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't even tens of thousands. Maybe I got second. I think I just started telling people I won. Right. But, you, yeah. you, you won. You won forty nine dollars. Yeah, I, mean, I got my money back. It was great. <laughs> uh, so, got my money back on my second place GPP finish. But, Denny, the coaching carousel is oiled and spinning with five openings and potentially more to follow. Uh, Joe Judge, leave your phone on silent. (laughs) Of the Dolphins, Jaguars, Broncos, Vikings, and Bears openings, which do you think should be viewed as the best job on the open market? I I got the Vikings. Am I am I I off here? I mean, unless unless the uh, the culture there is just so toxic at this point, with uh, you know, firing Spielman was a huge upset. Uh, and and really came out of nowhere. There were reports on Monday morning, bright and early, saying Spielman's safe. The 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 uh, the Wilf family loves Spielman. They would never get rid of him unless things really turned uh, for the worst. Took a turn for the worst, and and uh, you know he's he he's gone. But yeah, I I would I would say the Vikings are the are the best uh, landing spot. My note was this in typical Pat and Denny speak. I said it's honestly probably the Vikings. Uh, you just get a slightly more sophisticated offensive coach in there. I mean, Kirk Cousins turns everyone he meets into the Joker. Oh. But there, he gets a little more efficient every year. He was going down the field more this year. If they just had to open that offense up a slightly more, it would have been the offense wasn't really the problem. Of course, it was the defense. And but I just feel like there's still untapped potential of that offense. The defense still has a few building blocks. It's it's a defense that is maybe on the downhill, but there's enough there's enough intriguing pieces of the Viking. Basically, anytime you have the quarterback, the running game, and the receiver core set, like that's a pretty. I mean, I know like offensive line, quote unquote, defense, quote unquote, those are important things, but they have all the all the all the the position groups in the team that are responsible for scoring points are really well established, and I do think. It's kind of an easy, easy turnaround job in the Vikings. Yeah, I think uh, you you hit the you know nail on the head with with the the fact that they have Dalvin Cook, they have Cousins, and honestly, I think Justin Jefferson makes that job so attractive because as good as he was this year and as productive as he was, I really don't think they have explored his full atten- uh, full potential uh, in, in that offense, and I, I hope that the next coach will. 
Yeah, no, he's a top five skill player in the entire NFL. He's a, just a special, special player. And my note on what was the best opening, I just wrote, I only know it's not the Bears or Jaguars. Uh, right. The Bears in a little better shape because Justin Fields was one of the only rookies who actually did have some moments. But he had, he, he's the he's the guy. He's going to need the right coach. Like he cannot. So playing into my next question, I'm going to bring up Brian Flores. I feel like the Bears wouldn't be a good fit because Brian Flores obviously has a mixed track record with young quarterbacks. And Justin Fields, I mean, he had an offensive-minded head coach in Matt Nagy, but he needs like a very like sophisticated, strong-minded offensive. Some guy with a clear vision, but a guy willing to work with the young man. And he needs like a, he needs a, a real deal offensive coach. Yeah. And it'd probably be a bad situation if they come in there with a defensive mind, which teams always do. They were going to replace Matt Nagy probably with a defensive minded head coach. Yeah. And I just feel yeah. like that would be a mistake. Yes. Uh, unless, unless Flores, well, of course, you know, Flores didn't handle the, the offensive side of things well in Miami at all. You know, he, he hired, no, you know, he, he signed off on two offensive coordinators. He, he refused to tell the media who was calling plays. Or, or or what the two offensive coordinators' roles were in in the Dolphins' uh, offense. So, it's it, it was a very weird situation. Also, uh, you know there there was reportedly some d- d- tension, you know, between Tua and Brian Flores between you know that the quarterback situation with the Dolphins. So, I I I don't yeah I don't think that it would be very good for Justin Fields unless unless Flores you know kind of learns a lesson and says okay like I'm going to bring with me. Uh, uh, you know, an offensive guy who's going to do one guy, not two, who's going to do everything uh, <laughs> on that side of the ball, and I, and 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 you know, I'm going to be the 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 overseer. You know, a really weird thing about Brian Flores was the like with his offensive vision was like Chan Gailey actually did a good job as the offensive coordinator in 2020, and then he fired him for no yeah. reason. Like he was just very impulsive with the way he ran his offense, and so yeah, let's just get in to the Brian Flores discussion of where it might be the best landing spot for him. Cause I do think, I don't think it's just like media. I, I do think he is the best candidate out there. And like the, this, the number one thing you need from a coach is are they going to handle their business on their side of the ball? Like you're never gonna have a coach that can do it on both sides of the ball. Like I feel like the lowest possible bar for head, unless you're like an, an amazing leader, like John Harbaugh or Mike Tomlin. Like I feel like the, the very, like bare minimum you need to do is like dominate your side of the ball. Mm-hmm. And Brian Flores just dominates the, the defensive side of the ball. Like he is the defensive mind for his staff. Like he has like game changing type game plans, but he is like the classic where he has to be paired with someone who has like total autonomy on the other side right. of the ball. Like, which is very hard for an NFL head coach to do to give up and to say, give like you like the keys to the car on the other side of the ball. But it happens with defensive-minded head coaches. It happens with offensive-minded head coaches. It just doesn't matter. He's so good on what he does inside the ball, but he was clearly he was just he was a net negative for the Dolphins' offense. The way like the insanely conservative approach. Yes, I mean, never met a coach more in love with field goals than Brian Flores. And for him to have success, he has to be paired. He he has to be paired either with a really established quarterback or an offensive coordinator who's going to allow to just run things on his side of the ball. Yeah, no, I mean that that's it. That's it. And and I, I don't uh I don't I don't see his approach being very good with you know a guy like Fields, for no, instance. I, who, I'm just gonna I'm gonna cut you off to, he needs to be with the Vikings, I think. Because he can that would be good. The Vikings have weird talent issues on defense, but that can be replenished. He can handle the Vikings defense. And like Kirk Cousins is basically like the deluxe version of Tua Tagovailoa. Like he can do everything Tua does. Kirk Cousins does like a, not just a little bit better, kind of a lot of it better. Yeah. Still at this point, and I, and plus too having like a, such a better backfield situation. The Dolphins with not only Dalvin Cook but Alexander Madison. You know the really impressive special teams rookie who I will not try to pronounce his last name because I can't. Kenne though is his first name, and. There's so much better backfield talent, so much, so much, everything on the, the Vikings offense is an upgrade on what the Dolphins offense was. I think the Vikings would be a great fit for Brian Flores. Kirk Cousins, by the way, when, when you um, combine completion rate over expected and EPA was, was way better than Tua this year. So it's, it, it, he, he is, uh, he, he would be an upgrade, obviously, uh, in that regard. He's like the souped up version of Tua, basically. Kirk mm-hmm. Cousins, very accurate. 
not always the most aggressive, but he he can be like a very he's he's an elite game manager. Kirk Cousins also also Kirk, uh, Kirk Cousins is an elite coach killer. He I mean that is true. Right. He's basically <laughs> you know like a when I say the asteroids like a planet killer. He is yeah. a, a coach killing asteroid. Yeah, Kirk I mean if, if Flores <laughs> takes that job, he needs to have a sit down. I'm going to need you not to kill me. Yeah, yeah no. right. <laughs> I mean that actually that is Kirk Cousins. <laughs> And Ryan Flores do seem like a potential match made in absolute hell. So maybe I should not have said he's a good fit for the Vikings. Cousins is also a GM killer. I mean, he everybody he's he's the the meme of the Grim Reaper going door to door. What is it about this guy? Because he's ostensibly he's nice. He ostensibly he's good. Why does everyone hate him all the time? I, like, I think I think what is it about Kirk Cousins? That just drives everyone crazy. I think because his bad is so bad. Like it's, it's, you know, like we saw in that primetime game, uh, I don't know, three, four weeks ago where, where it's, it's atrocious. It's like, it's like uh, having a fourth stringer in there who can barely operate the offense. And, but his, his good is good. You know, it's, it's like really, really solid, not great, but solid. Uh, So, so, (laughs) you know, but when, when, when he gets, when he gets to bad cousins, you know it first of all. You know it right away, and there's no recovering from that in that game. And uh, it, I guess it's the kind of thing that just that just crushes coaches who who you know whose success hinges on on the team scoring some points. Yeah, and I feel like his bad is always like spectacularly ill timed too. Like he never just throws an interception on like third and seven from the fifty yard line, where you know that's like not great. But it's like whatever. They have the ball. Like they're on thirty eight. Right. Like that's not going to ruin the game. Like he he always does something. Like his mistakes are always like in the worst possible moment. I think yeah. is this is very analytically minded argument, by the way. It is. It is. We have we we have all sorts of numbers. We're, we're, of data. We're yeah. distilling numbers into just uh, anecdotes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, Kirk. By the way, I just love. I every time we were saying Kirk, I feel like we're saying Kurt, and Kurt, he's got to work on that. Well, Kirk, you need wait, a new name. the the Washington GM didn't know his name, right? <laughs> That's so, uh, but I think Rick Spielman, I would recycle Rick Spielman. So I would recycle Brian Flores. I would recycle Rick Spielman too. Yeah. You know, 15, 16 years is kind of a long time to not get the quarterback answer, but he was consistently good at everything that wasn't the quarterback. And he, he tried at the quarterback. Like he took a lot of swings. Brett Favre you know, drafting yeah. Christian Ponder, first fully guaranteed deal with Kirk Cousins. So he tried everything at quarterback. This kind of had some bad luck. Rick Spielman's like the ultimate accumulator of draft picks. He's like a gambler as a GM. He's not conservative. I think Rick Spielman should get a second chance as a GM. Dan, real quick, I'm going to tell you four teams that I think are potential still openings. And I just want you to think, which of these are the most likely to open up? The Raiders with Rich Basaccia, the Giants with Joe Judge, the Seahawks with Pete Carroll, or the Texans with David Culley? I mean, Culley seems... It seems pretty safe. I know not not 100% safe, so I, I can't say him. Um, the, the Raiders are definitely sticking with Bisaccia. You think so? I don't yeah. think they will. No, he's their guy. He's he's a Raiders guy through and through. He even has the silver goatee to go with I mean, the hat. He, he has quite a goatee. Yeah, uh, you know, he, and he's a, he's a gut guy. He, like, doesn't care about any – he doesn't care about number, doesn't care about analytics. <laughs> he's, he's, he's all, like – like he has Raiders written all over him. Um, and he's done a good job. We must say he has um, done a good job. Kind of. I mean, <laughs> his, his fourth down decision-making is absolutely horrific. And of course it's the complete opposite of Brandon Staley. And, you know, and people are going to, well, look who won, who won. And there's no, then there's no rebuttal. I don't have a rebuttal, you know, Staley, uh, Staley. Point, and, somebody you'd like to see the process work for it, Brandon Staley. I, I would, you know, the the process would be better if it worked sometimes yes. and it's worked uh, once. <laughs> the, just the, just once yeah uh you know going for two or, or going for fourth down uh it, it would be nice if that started working i have to say it would be easier for me online but um yeah so i think Bisaccia is there who who are the other two just giants or seahawks by the way i got to i got to say though on the brandon staley i did think the fourth down decision was bad the other night when the other team well is literally resorting to something called the Marcus Mariota package to gain yards. You should not be going it for it on fourth down inside your own twenty. You just should not. Well, you uh, no, I I think you do, but you you call a good play. That, that would have helped. Yeah, that would have that would have made a difference. Yeah, uh, if we're gonna get on this just for a second, 
I I was stunned that you know they they called that play first of all that they come up to the line. Justin Herbert sees nine, maybe ten Raiders on the line of scrimmage, and he either doesn't audible out of it or he can't. Yeah. And and if it's the latter, if he if he's been told you may not audible out of out of this call, that's a problem. Like that that's a, that's a huge problem. Uh, uh, having a quarterback who has to do exactly what the coach says at all times and has no autonomy on the field uh makes makes it so that you you are not a competitor you can't be a competitor it's true it doesn't situation. work yeah personally too i would let dan marino jr audible if, if i were yes. if i were a coach if i had the 21st century yes. version of dan marino on my team i would simply let him audible right dan marino jr who runs a four five yeah exactly you know, so like, like maybe let him audible yeah it, it, it's a, it blew my mind that they that they ran that play it was it, it was it was sort of you know, if it reminded me of uh, when the Colts did the fake punt against the Patriots. Like somebody's got an audible. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> really, someone really should have audible than that one. They're still, they're still having the postmortems in that one, figuring out what went wrong there. On the, uh, what was the guy's name? Griff Whalen, the Griff Whalen play. So, but yeah. So the other two opening, the Giants and Seahawks. Do you think either of those yeah. are coming open? I, I, I think, I think the Seahawks are are kind of ready to move on. I'm surprised they haven't done it. I guess you just don't, you don't just fire Pete Carroll though. Like on a Monday morning, that is a situation where unless they had already pre-agreed to it, like seemingly maybe with the Vikings and Mike Zimmer, I, I do agree with the Seahawks. Just even if they know in their head, they're moving on. You can't just fire a guy like Pete Carroll on Monday morning. after a decade with the team, a Super right. Bowl, two Super Bowl appearances. You, you kind of can't just like be like that cold and calculating with the guy and you got to at least go through like a week of meetings or something. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it should be judge obviously. I'm like, like there, there, he has no leg to stand on no argument for maintaining his job. Um, you know, running a, a quarterback sneak on third man, and nine man. on second, on never second seen, and third. Never seen anything like it. No, it's never, it's never, it's, it's uh, inexplicable on every level. And, and I, I, I don't know how he has his job still. He must be the best salesman of all time. Um, but no, I, I think the Seahawks will, you know, will say, well, I, we have to choose between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. I mean, the only choice is Wilson. Or they will just continue to make Russell Wilson the Joker and not choose because he doesn't really have any leverage. <laughs> he signed through 2023. Yeah. We saw not even Aaron Rodgers could force a trade. So, like, if the Seahawks really wanted to be, uh, yeah. they could do it if they really wanted to. Because Russell Wilson, like, the guy who rehabs 21 hours a day isn't going to sit out football games. No, no. Which would be the only, his only way to force a trade if the Seahawks dug in. But I think – it seems like they will be willing to choose that they're not going to go hardball, and that they will choose and that they will probably choose Russell Wilson. Probably. Yeah. You, you joked, you joked that the, the Carol Wilson era has ended 45 times. <laughs> I mean, it's, and, I, quite literally every week was the end of an era. This year. But I have to say this feels different. It feels different. It feels like true, truly they have reached the end of that line and it probably should have been changes probably should have been made last year or the year before, but I think that they, they have, they have to do something now. Yeah. And they just have to realize there's no shame in it. Like the coach quarterback marriage here lasted longer than 99.999%. Like it just happens in sports. They just need a shakeup. They just need a new voice. They need a new partnership. Like it was totally fine. It was an extreme, one of the most successful eras of football of the 21st century for any organization. It's just over and they need to try something different. So yeah, Denny, with the season over, it is time for the fantasy postmortem. And I'll start with something simple. What player were you most happy to have on your redraft teams this season? Stick with me here. Uh Jamar Chase. And 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 but it's not it's not total happiness because there was quite a lull there in um in in a way that made you say, well, do I bench him? You know, like, like it, you, I've asked myself that several times during the season. And I think that the, the knock on, on him next year will be, he wasn't consistent, you know, and, and, and that, and that's true. That's true. But his big weeks just covered up all of the, uh, you know, all, all of the scars on your, on your team. Right. I mean, it, uh, his, his big weeks won you your week even if your other guys underperformed and that that's something that not many players bring. So 
I was happy to have uh, gotten him. I got I, I drafted him mostly before his drops in the preseason, which I have to say got into my got into my head. Yeah, yeah. you know um, uh, the, the 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 chatter about about those drops. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm most happy about Chase. Yeah, the inconsistent narrative won't even probably stick upon scrutiny either because it was really only like three or four games in the second half of the season. He was actually kind of stunningly consistent before that, or even his down days, he was scoring touchdowns. But you, you hit the nail on the head. When there's a player, even if, they, even if they're inconsistent, when there's a player who spiked weeks, like single-handedly win weeks, like you don't care about consistency. And it's just, you, it's frustrating. The game is arbitrary a lot. You could lose in the playoffs, blah, 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 because of that. But when you have a player who single-handedly win weeks, you yeah. don't care about consistency. And plus, he was consistent anyways, I think. It's just a rookie. Maybe it was, as Mike Tomlin would call it, the rookie wall. Well, chase down the and he, he dropped by my count he dropped at least two long touchdowns and maybe three which which would have catapulted him probably to like the number two wide receiver overall behind behind cooper cup and yeah so my uh guy most happy that i had in a number of leagues was like you may shock you it was jonathan taylor because uh, one he literally won me money and but like you like i felt not great about unlike you i was i was drafting him after his after like his narrative had gone south, like I decided like I was gonna be the guy to stop the slide with Jonathan <laughs> Taylor, yeah. and I didn't feel great about it. So I'm like, do 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 feet heal? Because Quentin Nelson and Carson <laughs> Wentz both had the foot injuries. Right. I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I've been led. If doctors are telling the truth, feet do heal. Yes, Quentin Nelson will be fine, and Jonathan Taylor will be fine. But I did not feel good about it at all because even like the smartest analysts, it's like it's hard to feel good about that kind of thing. Yeah. But, it, it was a classic like blood in the water situation where, you know, it, if you were willing to take that discount, you, I mean, you benefited tremendously. Uh, Taylor was falling at one point after that Wentz injury was falling into the bottom of the second round, you know, sometimes yeah. at the top of the third round, like, like really like a, like a precipitous fall for a guy who was locked into the first round until then. Um, so to be able, you know, to be able to, you know, maybe get like a, a Tyree Killer, Justin Jefferson, and then a Jonathan Taylor, it, just a huge advantage. Yeah, and that was the thing with Taylor. Like, I wasn't taking him before he fell because I was buying into the other narrative. Like, was he going to catch enough passes? You know, and it was just, you know, it was dumb. But then after he started falling, I'm like, this is just ridiculous. Like, I personally witnessed this guy have like 350 yard games in December last year. Right. Like, he was living up to his pre draft billing. He's clearly like a, not an ordinary running back and I just need to bite the bullet and do it. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm a, I'm a yeah. millionaire. I'm a millionaire. There, there you go. I, I don't know why you're doing this show, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, Taylor was uh, by, by some, in some respects, the best running back prospect in recent history. Uh, yeah. So that, that was, I was just trying to not overthink it. Yeah. You overthink just about everything. I just tried to not overthink Jonathan Taylor in August and thankfully, that was the correct course of action. Denny, not to we don't want to we don't want to be mean, no. but for every action, you know, there must be an equal and opposite reaction. Which player were you least happy to have on your redraft teams in twenty twenty one? It's least happy to have drafted AJ Brown every single <laughs> on every single team, <laughs> yeah. and every every best ball team, and just. I mean, just went all in on AJ Brown, and it didn't didn't quite work out. And this has nothing to do with AJ Brown as a player. As a player, he's tremendous, you know, and 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 he will continue to be. Um, this has to do with a situation uh, and an offense that I I thought I thought might change enough for Brown, you know, to to have sort of that nuclear ceiling and he didn't you know tennessee had a 51 percent pass rate this season that was the second lowest in the league that that pass rate dropped to 44 percent when they were leading this season no team had a lower pass rate over expectation than tennessee so even even if aj brown were to have played a full season and commanded a, a really solid target share in that tennessee offense it wouldn't have amounted to a ton of opportunity because of the way the offense operated. And by the way, that offense didn't change much at all after Derrick Henry's injury, you know, and, and that was another oh, thing on, that, that, that was another thing that I, I thought would, would happen, but it, it did not. It did not. Uh, you're trying to tell me Derrick Henry doesn't matter, Denny. 
No, no, actually, I, uh, no, I, I wrote a preseason article uh, say, rebutting that belief, but, uh, but That's yeah, right. I actually remember that. That was good. Yeah. Thank you. And, and, uh, no, and they, but they, they didn't, they didn't change. So he, he averaged 8.1, AJ Brown averaged 8.1 targets per game, but in six of his 13 games, remember he missed four, uh, he saw fewer than, than eight targets. Uh, you know, it was, it was a situation where he would have had to be incredibly efficient to, um, you know, t- to meet those preseason expectations. So that's, ins- I think you just accidentally said something that summed up AJ. You didn't make a mistake. You said something where you weren't trying to sum up AJ Brown's season, but you did where like I, he, he played 13 games. Like I literally cannot believe that. So like, it, it is true. He played 13 games. To me, that sums up AJ Brown's season. Cause it felt like he was out for so long. Yeah. It was only four games but it felt like longer because he just wasn't yet producing in so many of those games. And it is weird because he had the two, two or three, like this monster spiked weeks, the kind of weeks that did flip matchups when he played, but yeah, they were just so few, so few, I keep butchering this so few far and in between. What is the phrase? I butchered this on a Twitter spaces the other day too. Uh, um, far and few between. No, that's not right. Few and far between. Too few and far between. Too few and far between. That's what it is. There you go. But yeah, I, I, that astonishes. I just, I honestly, if you would ask me how many games AJ Brown played this year, I would have said like nine. Well, he was in and out uh, of a lot of games too. I, I, I didn't uh, include that, but you know, he's in the blue injury tent every every fifteen minutes during games. So, and, and again, I'm not ragging on the player at, at all. No, you just called him soft. But no, no, I did not. Uh, I didn't know such thing. (laughs) You know, and and uh, I think that if you drafted him in in the summer, you were drafting AJ Brown at at his probably at his best case scenario. You know, which is which is a tough a tough way to go about your draft. And I I kind of I I kind of got blinded by the um, the the allure of such a dominant force um, without much target competition um but it just turned out not to matter at all no it didn't and he'll be a fascinating guy in 2022 because there's no way we're fading that talent no no he'll be right back up there the guy that i was least happy with it was another guy where i felt like i was hashtag stopping the slide and it was lavisca sunalt who was only the wide receiver 42 by adp but you know in, in experts leagues quote unquote it was probably much higher than that and but I, I thought I'm like, how is LaVisca's ADP staying so reasonable? Yeah, and I kept yeah. taking him as my wide receiver three. And I was like, this is a, such a bargain. Like, cause he was so hyped too. Like I was part of the hype. I just loved the profile. I loved the seeming targets fit and his offense. And I was like, this is just like stealing basically. And I got Visca and so many, I wasn't, I wasn't like over the moon, but like he wasn't some guy like who I began the summer. Like I got to get Visca in every draft, but I just thought the ADP had stayed so reasonable. I was so happy to continue getting Visca, and then twenty twenty one happened. Yeah, you know the, the the Travis Etienne draft pick was a huge red flag. Um, it was a it was a red flag that made you wonder if Urban Meyer even knew Lavisca Chenault was on the team. Uh, because... <laughs> Which he might not have. Let's he, be fair. It's po- it's possible. It is possible. A- after that happened, I remember being like, "Oh, well, that's uh, that's the end of that." It, it, yeah, profile wise, um, Lavisca is very appealing and will continue to be. But man, this this team doesn't really know how to use him, and he might not just not fit. He might just be a tweener, you know, in the NFL, um, uh, unless the team force feeds him touches which they have shown completely unwilling to do uh you know it's it's going to be tough action for him yeah he needs percy harvin like uh debo samuel now everyone will be hoping for like a debo samuel type role with a visca chanel but we should probably not fall for it again so is there is there like a lesson with visca type players yeah. for you like we always get excited about visca type players but is there something we're missing there and like we should not be so drawn to them yeah, I, I I think you know falling in love with a with a player's physical profile, you know uh, of you know uh, their athletic profile, their college production profile, and not really having a, a, a super clear path to targets 
for a receiver is just, <laughs> just, you know, paving the road to hell, you know, for fantasy yeah. purposes. And I've done that. I, you know, I, I, I do that every season with some guys with, with Chenault, it was excusable when you could get them in like the 10th, 11th, 12th round or whatever. in in quote unquote expert leagues, you had to take them in the seventh round at some points that was too, too high a price to pay. Even, even if you loved him as a player. And the, the path wasn't clear, like not because the Jags had so many amazing target hog, target hogs on the team, but it wasn't clear. Cause like you said, he's a tweener. And like, we were just banking on something that hadn't happened before with a profile that had not been fully established at the NFL level. And that's why it wasn't clear. And it was just a lesson. Yeah. We're, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to have Visca in every league in 2022. But, um, <laughs> well, he's going to be, he's going to be basically free. At yeah, the he will be. <laughs> uh, so you can't go wrong this time. I mean, well, everyone knows that. I mean, you can't go terribly wrong. <laughs> you know, you can't burn a seventh round pick on. Them. <laughs> yeah, so everyone knows that. I mean, well, Visca is going to be just a screaming steal in 2022. Denny, which trend did you see rising in 2021 in fantasy football? Yeah, I, well, you know, I, I think it's a trend that that started uh, somewhat in, in 2020, which was trying to identify uh, so-called number two receivers, or maybe one A. Well, I'm sorry, one B receivers on teams, and and projecting them or expecting them to emerge as their teams number one. Now. Of course, everybody will say, okay, well, you're talking about Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, and I am. (laughs) But, you know, in 2020, it happened with uh, Ridley and Julio Jones, where, you know, uh, Julio was was drafted a a couple rounds before Ridley. um, But it really wasn't super clear just because of age, injuries, because of Ridley's strong finish to the previous season. You know, in hindsight, it wasn't super clear that Ridley was going to play second fiddle all year to Julio, and he didn't, if you remember correctly. Ridley had a, a monster target season, um, huge PPR season for, well, in all scoring formats, and, and Julio did not. Um, some other examples of this from 2021, uh, Brandon Ayuk went wide receiver 23 in drafts. Debo Samuel went wide receiver 35, which is criminal in hindsight. Um uh, Alan Robinson going five or six rounds before Dar- Darnell Mooney. And I get that that may be a little, a little bit hindsighty and it, well, all of this is hindsight analysis, yeah, but, you know, what you're going to do, but that's what we're doing today. Uh, but you know, D- Darnell Mooney showed flashes and, and coaches talked him up as someone who was not just a deep threat, who, who uh, could be an intermediate target as well. And Alan Robinson didn't exactly blow the roof off in 2020. So uh, that you had that situation. You also had, um, I know this is a little different, but I wanted to mention with the Jets, Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. Now, Elijah Moore only had a handful of usable fantasy games because of injuries, because he wasn't really, you know, incorporated into the offense as a full-time player until later in the season. Um, Corey Davis missed, you know, what was six weeks or eight, seven weeks with a core injury. So uh, it's, it's tough to, to pinpoint this as, as that exact same situation, but more, you know, his college profile and the draft capital, the Jets spent on him could have was always, you know, in line to surpass Corey Davis and all the rest of the Jets receivers as the, as the top uh, pass catcher. And, and you, you have to believe that if it had been 17 games with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, that, that Moore would have, you know, outproduced him by a good margin. Another, this could have happened to at the Broncos and Jerry Judy. We, we were all over that with Jerry Judy and the Broncos and might've happened if he hadn't missed what, six or seven games or whatever after getting injured in week one. So that was a, another area of yeah. what you're talking about. But so I think the lesson though is just find a number two receiver who you think might come within 18 yards of setting the single season receiving record. It's that and easy, folks. Profit. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's that easy. You know, you, you, you find you find a two thousand yard receiver and you go with it. No, I mean, I mean the 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 real lesson is like is like to 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 think critically and and to really evaluate whether a guy going around or two or three or four rounds before his teammate is really that much better and really you know is really going to be that much more dominant in opportunity in that in that offense. Yeah, it plays into just one of the old axioms too. Like, don't draft last year's stats. Like, 
be don't be afraid to do a little projection and it is it is a it's becoming it's like it's a good way yeah to get like league changers basically in your fantasy yeah. like don't be afraid to do some projection of your own really quickly a trend i noticed was just the falling depth at wide receiver which i think had to do with teams going like a, a non-trivial amount of teams five or six teams like switching mid-season to go really really run heavy like the Eagles and Washington and just several other teams, I mean, the Chiefs going more run heavy. This a big midseason adjustment league. What the Bills even yeah. of going run heavier, and so I just it, this is just one one to one year comparison. But uh, last year the wide receiver fifty in PPR leagues by total points had one hundred and forty nine. This year the wide receiver fifty by total points had one hundred and thirty eight points, and that was mm. with seventeen games. And so, like, there was a big year-over-year fall in PPR points and passing game production. And this was something would be – because it had kind of gotten to the point, like, in fantasy, like, the top 36 receivers any given week, like, the wide receiver 36 could, like, easily be ranked as, like, the wide receiver, like, 25. There just, like, wasn't that much difference. There was so much depth. Like, it had gotten, like, genuinely 36 deep in terms of like really viable every week wide receivers. And that was not the case this year. And I think had to do with teams kind of throwing the car in reverse and starting to run way more mid season. It will be like an interesting trend to monitor for 2022. Yeah. The, the overall NFL pass rate dropped by 1.5% from last year, which is, Oh, you know, uh, big, on, that, yeah. on that large of a scale is a monster drop. It is. It is. And so I, again, I'll ask the opposite question. What trend, did you see any trends dying in 2021 or not really? I, I don't even know why. This is kind of a weird question. Well, no, I, I, I get it. Uh, you know, what one that jumps out, I, I think we're going, one trend we're going to see kind of fade is chasing tight end points. Ch- I, 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 I do this every year. I'm a big believer in it and it didn't work this year. Well, I mean, analytically minded folks in the, in the fantasy industry make a compelling case every year, like to not, not, I'm not talking about tight end premium leagues where, where you get a point and a half for tight end receptions or whatever, you know, I'm talking about regular formats. There's a compelling case. Well, this guy's a receiver. And it happened this year with Darren Waller, where people were, were chasing him hard, chasing his 2020 production really hard. I know there was the injury and, and I'm, you know, that's, that happens. And that doesn't have to do with what I'm, what I'm talking about. But before that, he wasn't making a huge difference for you. Uh, you know, especially, especially because if you wanted Darren Waller, you had to take him in the second round of 12 team leagues. That's going to happen this year with, with Mark Andrews. I'm, I'm not saying Mark Andrews is going to disappoint to that level, but Mark, since Mark Andrews went, went off, especially in the last, what, like, like eight weeks of the season, you know, he's going to go in the second round ne- ne- next year. And, um, and people are going to chase that production. Now I, I don't know. I haven't taken a close look to see whether he is like a, like a major regression candidate, I would imagine that in some respects he he, he will be, um, but I, I do think that 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 trend of, of saying I need you know I can get the guy who's going to outscore Kelsey I think that trend is gonna is gonna ebb ebb a little bit maybe not die but ebb. And I came at that from kind of a like different angle because this year especially I, there was like so many times in my drafts where I'm like people were drafting like wide receivers like five and six when I thought there were still like tight end ones in the board. Like I'm not taking like a wide receiver six when I can like take a shot basically on Hunter Henry or Cole Komet. I was like, this is just dumb. I'd rather take a guy that knows and get targets, maybe have red zone targets. Yeah, but it, it it didn't work. No, it didn't work at all. It didn't, no, it didn't work at all. And no, I, you know, I, I I got aggressive as as you know, and as the listeners know, I got aggressive with Kyle Pitts as a guy I thought would be basically like being able to plug in a receiver at tight end, and uh, that that didn't work either. It was a Denny heel turn. Um, yeah. Well, Denny. sort of, sort of, because, uh, you know, I, I thought that, well, he's not, he's not really, not really a tight end. I, I got, I got, you know, I get caught up. I get caught up sometimes with, uh, with, with hype around players of that, of that caliber. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not writing off Kyle Pitts, you know, he, but, but he was, he was close to a team killer in, in 2020. He was, yeah. I mean, it's funny because, the guy, you know, he becomes the first rookie tight end in 60 years, or whatever, a thousand yards, and he was still close to a team killer because that just 
speaks to how out of control his expectations are. Like if he had been treated like a normal rookie tight end, which he was never going to be treated as like a normal rookie tight end, but if like expectations had just been slightly more in check, I think we could have been really happy with the thousand yard season from Kyle. Well, except for, well, I think he did score one touchdown. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, if expectations had just been slightly more reasonable for Kyle Pitts, people would have been so much happier with what was, by every count, a very excellent rookie season. We will be right back. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are gearing up for the Wild Card Weekend. And NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet has you covered with Sunday Night 7. We're giving you a shot to win $1 million twice this weekend. It starts on Saturday by predicting what will happen between the Raiders and Bengals in Cincinnati. Then another $1 million is up for grabs during Steelers Chiefs on Sunday night. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor for more information. Subscribe to NBC Sports Edge Plus and get every tool for every game. Fantasy, DFS, and betting premium tools are all included in one subscription at one low price. You can subscribe monthly or save 20% on an annual subscription. We've made it easier than ever with more tools than ever to play and wager with confidence with NBC Sports Edge Plus. Denny, we just, we're going to talk about what, what is a lesson in general you felt like you learned in fantasy football this season? Uh, never draft a player. That's one. <laughs> one yeah, no. Uh, I, you know, it, the, the, one, the one that jumps out to me is – uh, being a little more flexible, and this is hard to say for me, being a little more flexible with your uh, in-draft z- decision-making because, as as you know, I, I am an ideological drafter, and I, I like, I like a, to take uh, a draft from a structural standpoint. Uh, so, you know, doing that means that, um, that you're, you're going you're gonna to stick to your plan, and you're not, you're not going to uh, stray, even if things go a little differently than, than you thought they would. Um, and I, I think that that, I think that, you know, I hurt myself in a lot of leagues, uh, t- taking that approach. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try my best and I can't promise that I will be, but I'm going to try my best to be a little more flexible next year with how I approach team construction. Never try to learn, never try to improve. <laughs> it's not, you're never going to get better if you're trying to improve. Come on, man. That's uh, true. What, now these are kind of, we're getting into more like silly season with these questions, but I want to know what was the, what did you think was the best game of the year? Best game of the year. Uh, you know, when, when, when I saw this question on the show, she, I, I instantly thought of the season opener. The I wrote that one down. That was a good one. That was a fun fantasy game. It was quick, fast pace, back and forth. Both teams had their foot on the gas the whole time. Lots, tons of fantasy points all the way around. I, I might go with fantasy, the, the season opener. It's weird because that game turned out to be a red herring in so many different yeah. ways because the Cowboys did not end up playing that kind of offense. League-wide, that kind of offense was on the decline <laughs> After the explosion of the past four to five years, the Patrick Mahomes led explosion of just like, you know, just pinball football, fireworks football. Like, this was the year that trend finally began to revert. I say finally, like, I wanted it to happen. Obviously, I didn't want it to happen. But yeah, that game was such a misnomer, such a red hair. And it was, 
that was one of the most cleanly played games of the year. Like it was just a genuine shootout. Yeah. The, the teams weren't like making mistakes. They were like executing. Yeah. And just playing so well. Yeah, that and was everybody showed everybody showed up, you know, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Zeke got got I think a touchdown or something in in there. Uh Dak and Brady go crazy. Mike Evans, I mean, it was it was for fantasy purposes. I that that's how I view it. I view this all, everything through a fantasy lens. So when you ask me what what the best game was, I'm not gonna talk about like the most competitive game or whatever. No, I'm just gonna talk about the one that's uh, <laughs> most fun for fantasy. I also another I think the most memorable for me was definitely the Bills Patriots in the snow. Oh yeah. And just yeah. really like the visual aesthetic, this like the craziness aspect, like the trivia question aspect of that game. Like just again, just like the sheer memorableness of that game will be tough to beat right. winning a game in the snow and the wind where the guy attempts three passes. But we're talking about the best games. Get that out with the best. We are games. so I think the actual best game to be accused of recency bias, I think the only time all year I got that genuinely like euphoric, like just drunk on the game, like like literally could not tweet enough during the game was Sunday night between Chargers Raiders. Yeah. And there was just something very weird going on with that game too. So just beyond it being a great, crazy game with a huge swings, you know, coming down to literally the final play in overtime was like, I was like a mass psychological effort on the part of the American people to turn that game into a tie. I feel yes. like, I feel like almost like psychological forces almost willed that game to, it was like, like almost like a classic self-fulfilling prophecy. Like <laughs> the American people are going to yeah. make this game a tie, whether you like it or not. And we almost succeeded. And it was such a strange and bizarre feeling to see that playing out in real time. Like this extremely far-fetched scenario that for some reason we were talking about all week, then almost happening was just so crazy to witness. And and of course it happens with the Chargers, right? The most snake bitten team in, in, <laughs> in pro sports history. Uh, and and that that's why it always seemed possible. It always seemed possible. Can you imagine uh, being a Steelers coach or player watching that game? And, <laughs> and 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 at one point you you were thinking it's over. It's over. The 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 impossible has happened. All of our dancing and celebrating was all for naught. It's over. And they of course sneak in. And it almost happened. The most Chargers thing happened is that it that it happened to them after the stirring comeback. You know, they come back from a 15-point deficit, needed a two-point conversion. They're tied on literally the final play of regulation, and then that still happens to them. And But it was, yeah, just one of the strangest things I've ever seen in a football game. When it became clear that really, like, the Raiders probably should kneel, like, I wasn't thinking about the matchup aspect, like, where they had knelt it out, they'd be playing the Chiefs again. But, like, those final few moments in overtime – like I had gotten to the point where I thought it was genuinely too risky to even try the field goal until they gained like those final eight yards. Cause it was gonna be like a 55, 56 six yard yeah. field goal. I'm like, why would you trifle with this being blocked or turned? <laughs> like just like you have nothing to gain. Like you're in the playoffs if you just stop playing this game now. And the only way you can miss the playoffs is if you continue playing this game and something crazy happens. Like you just were never, never ever going to see like another moment like that again, like the bizarre incentives in that game. And yeah, I felt, I felt drunk. I felt euphoric. It was really great. Except for you, I mean, I know you on the East coast, of course, it was 1230. <laughs> I, I had to, I, I had to finish the game, you know, I couldn't turn yeah. it off. <laughs> so. And then I turned it off and, and my mind's reeling, you know, and I, I didn't go to sleep for, I don't even know until two o'clock. Crazy. For supposedly being such a good coast, having sporting events end so late is just such a bad move on the East Coast. Behalf. It would be, it would, you know, there was a a point. I, I was on the West Coast a few years ago, and I was able to watch a Monday night game that ended at nine o'clock local time, and that was pretty fantastic. I I still say the East Coast is the only legitimate coast, but yeah. the Central Time Zone is the only legitimate sports time zone because it's not too late. It's not the West Coast. Like, I don't want the game starting, like, during dinner time. Like, I'm trying to, like, feed my kids or whatever. Like, I want to be able to actually, like, watch the game. Right. Like, you know, the West Coast, the game, like, could be ending during kids' bedtime. You don't want that. And so the central time zone, that's, like, the compromise. That's God, the central time zone. You're, you're, you're a, a, a time zone centrist. And I, I am. It. I am. Uh, yeah, I, know, I guess we'll end the show on what was – or we have two more questions. What was the worst game of the year, yeah. Kenny? Uh, Brown Steelers, period. Oh, yeah. 
forgot about that. I mean, it, 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 I mean, any Steelers game, any Steelers game running. would suffice. That's true. It, it, they're just the absolute worst team to watch. The Jaguars are at least entertaining in a in a horrible kind of nightmarish kind of way. But but the the, the Steel, no, it's Steelers Browns. Yeah, to me, it was the Monday night game that was a week before that, and the Ian Book game. Uh, oh, you know, like yeah. I, I I never log off. Like I, for whatever reason, I really do basically watch every primetime NFL game to the final whistle. Even like the the Cowboys football team game, I watched to the very end for really? some unknown reason. Wow! But the Ian Book game was the only game where I genuinely thought, like, like why am I watching this? Like, I just need <laughs> to turn off the television. Like, I am not well as a human being if I'm watching this game <laughs> till the end, and I still did, but. That was just a horrific. Yeah, I, 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 if I had known that, I, I would have like reached out to you to make sure you were okay. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't ever, ever, ever turn the game off, and I really should probably do that sometime. Uh, final question: What is a team that you will be an early investor on in twenty twenty two? Like the hot fantasy team that maybe wasn't like a fantasy bonanza in twenty twenty one, but where you could just see the fantasy value really rising in twenty twenty two. I mean, I, you know, I want to say the Broncos. It's the Broncos. I mean, I wrote the Broncos. It's yeah, clearly I Broncos. mean, considering they, they have to get a quarterback, they, they have do. to do something. To get, but but here's the thing, though. Like, everybody's going to be in on the Broncos if they get uh, even a halfway reasonable quarterback. So I, I don't I don't know if that if that truly. Uh, That's true. That's a good point. If that That's truly a- counts. I mean, it doesn't count. Then we we it, messed up. As far well, but as far as teams go, I mean, when they start making some head coaching hires and some GM hires, I think it, it, that'll that'll become you know a, a little bit clearer. Um, you know, may, maybe maybe the the Niners will once again be kind of underrated and have a lot of fantasy potential. Um, in in you know, surely Kyle, Kyle Shanahan, not Shyle Canahan. Um, I thought you were going to say Shad Connell no. <laughs> is is uh, you know is not is not going to turn to Trey Lance if they especially if they have some success in this postseason. They might. I think they'll probably do it. It wouldn't be unprecedented. The Chiefs to do it with Alex Smith. You get like one year on the first round quarterback thing. People get annoyed. Like people aren't going to tolerate benching the first round quarterback two years in a row. But you Shan- get a year max. Shanahan. Despises the pick, he does. and he does, and loves Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I, I have. If they win one playoff game, yeah. I say Jimmy G's back next year. I, I don't agree with that. Actually, he'll be gone. But that's. I'm looking through the teams other than the Broncos, and I me, mean, a really cancelable answer could be the Jets with Elijah Moore and I, Michael I Carter gonna, leading the way. I know, I know. And that I was going to say that we're going to be all over them. Let's just be real. I, I, I was going to, I was going to say that, but I, I was afraid of being canceled because I said it in August. Yeah. I said, that's right. You did. That's right. You did. Actually. I said, Zach Wilson has a really fantasy friendly game. He's running around. He's throwing, he's doing all this stuff, you know, get Elijah Moore in there, get Michael Carter. Hey, hey, hey everything's, everything will be good. Nope. Nope. Some other ones, the bears, Darnell Mooney rising, David Montgomery, just inevitable. The Lions, Amonra, St. Brown rising, DeAndre Swift, maybe get a better quarterback, could maybe but we don't know like the option. Maybe the Bears, you could maybe say Cole Komet rising. The, the Bears could be an interesting one to watch if they get the right hire to unlock Justin Fields. The Lions could be interesting if they get the right quarterback, but it's still only two weapons and DeAndre Swift and Monra St. Brown. It's not like a fantasy bonanza or anything. No, but no, the lions is a good, uh, they're a good answer. I, 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 I would be, I would be into the lions. Now, Jared Goff said today that he would be the lions quarterback for the next 10 years. If they wanted him. Nope. Um, no, never mind. But I, yeah. So <laughs> that, that does, that does raise some concerns. Never mind. But uh, thank you, Denny, for a good show. It was yeah. a good postmortem. Well, I mean, we're going to be taking a postmortem. You know, what's today? January 11th. Yeah, about August 1st. So <laughs> we got a lot of time to postmortem. Eight, eight months. But oh, that was a good start. Yep. Join us on Thursday with Denny, myself, Matt Strapp, and John Daigle as we preview all six games of the wild card round. Check out all of our stuff on the site this week. Denny's going to have a DFS article coming up. We said Wednesday that we're going to talk about on the Thursday show too. That's uh, right. Your favorite stacks, I believe. Yes, we're going to talk about uh, stacking games. 
uh, on the six game slate on, uh, on, on single game slates. We're going to, we're going to do all that correlation stacks, oh, anything yeah. but the best plays is, yeah, is, of course. is what I'm yeah, going to be writing. Not interested in that. We're not, we're not interested in the best plays. No, never. So for Denny, I am Pat. We will be back on Thursday. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.